Do you want to start recording, Ryan? Already has been. Oh, look at you. Good boy. Oh, boy. What did I say? <laughs> this is where the gold happens. That's nobody... right. Damn it. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good day. And hey, look who it is, Mr. Steve Barkley. Where? Where? Where is he? Yeah, it's been a few weeks. Well, I missed one. Did I miss more than one? I missed two, I think. I missed two. Is that right, Ryan? I don't know. I don't remember. Not, I don't know. <laughs> I bad memory he comes, he goes. He's like the tide. Good, good to know. All right. <laughs> Glad, glad you're keeping track. Now, you know what it is? It's because we're all getting old and our memories suck now. We, we missed you so much. Oh, were you here? No, believe me, it's... it's uh, He's the strong, silent type. Right across right. the... I forget everything these days. Um, hey, what's new and exciting? Let's oh go. gosh, what's new and exciting? Uh, I got I got my very first uh, bomb or not bomb. I can't call it bomb anymore. I got my very first new Visio book. Oh, the, uh, the fold up uh, portable CCTV. Um, it's uh, been revived. It was a product from Bomb. Bomb, of course, went out of business, and uh, their products have been picked up by a company now called Visio Braille. And uh, they are uh, back in production. So I got my first ones. And uh, how do they look? They look great. They look great. They're they're just a simple foldable CCTV. Really good for uh, little kids in school. So I think that's a perfect segue into when are you recording a commercial for it? Uh, I don't know. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I had some feedback on our commercials too uh, from a from a customer. He uh, he said when you do your commercials, you should spell out your website name because he's a listener to the podcast. Right. And uh, he was not sure how to get to canastech.com. so he oh. had to Google it. So. Damn. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know for when. Yeah, it was, it's good correct. feedback. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, because we need some new ones. So, yeah, it's perfect. Well, we'll get on that. We'll put on our marketing hats and come up with some new commercials. Put you in a cowboy hat and a thong. <laughs> on a I'm crazy. <laughs> I won't be undersold. I remember those late night, like the captain. You remember those those commercials? Oh, sure. Yeah. Those, yeah. I tell you, it works. Yeah, everybody was crazy back in the 70s right. and 80s. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was like the 90s. Crazy Yeti's electronics or something was one of them, I think, too. They say I must be nuts for letting these carpets go at these low, low prices. <laughs> but what am I going to do? You're just going to put them on the ground. <laughs> we will put that on the to-do list. Good uh, plan. Hey, what what other good segues do you have, Ryan? That was a really good segue. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
I don't have yeah. any segues, but we also need to uh, remind people that Steve has new cowbells in stock. And if you want a cowbell, send us an email and let us know why you think you deserve a cowbell. I love it. We're only going to do it one more week because we have some email already. So on next week's show, maybe we will, I guess, do a drawing. You know what we could do as well? We what? could give it during the live Christmas show. We could. Oh, there you go. Write it down. We'll forget. Yeah, and and I'd like to point out as well, it's not just why you deserve a cowbell. You might want to get a cowbell for someone else on your shopping list. That is true. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And what better than an AT banter branded cowbell? Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anything better that I would rather catch in my Christmas stocking. Than... No way. Oh. No, there's nothing yeah. better. I've pshaw. Unless it's coal, that stuff is so crunchy. What else is going on, Ryan? Well, I woke up this morning and saw that it was the International Day of Persons with Disabilities today that we are recording this on December 3rd. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's funny. You know, that's one of those ones that comes up and hits me every single year. <laughs> I, you'd, think, you'd think I would put it on the calendar, but I never do. Do you want to read a little bit about how it started? I think it was back in 1992. Well, as I understand it, the annual observance of the International Day of Disabled Persons was proclaimed in 1992 by United Nations General Assembly Resolution 47-3. It aims to promote the rights and well-being of persons with disabilities in all spheres of society and development and to increase awareness of the situation of persons with disabilities in every aspect of political, social, economic, and cultural life. But that's just my understanding. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have anything to do with the UN.org website. <laughs> Well, you know what? Next year, we'll have to actually have somebody on around this time to talk more about it. That would involve planning. Oh, we plan. <laughs> plan. What are you talking about? All right. I'll put it in the calendar. Well, listen, happy International Day of Persons with Disabilities, everybody. It is your day, Ryan. It is my day. Look at that. I have a day. Woo! Yeah. What are you going to do with it? Oh. You should get it off. You should at least get it off. <laughs> uh, no. You sure? Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> You're such a nice boss. I do. I try. My boss is exceptional. Yeah. He even remembered on our Tuesday anti-gloom Zoom room, which was uh-huh. on December 1st, that it was my three-year anniversary that I started with Canastec. Oh. Happy anniversary, right. happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Yeah, I can't believe it's been three years already. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, time is flying. I don't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Getting old. Well, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Hey, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing today. Today, we are speaking with Tracy Schmidt who is a motivational speaker, best-selling author, decorated athlete, and international humanitarian. And she also happens to be a quadruple amputee. That's right. And we say that last because that's the least important thing. Exactly. Tracy's been all over the world participating in sailing and climbing mountains and motivational speaking, doing TEDx talks. This this woman is literally unstoppable. So my only question for her today is, what's her kryptonite? Well, you know, she she goes by the unstoppable Tracy, and and uh, you know, I really did want to uh, test that, see how hard people had tried. <laughs> 
Ryan, I thought I told you not to book overachievers on the show. <laughs> Aren't they all overachievers? <laughs> I mean, walking three blocks up to Savon to get more Oreo cookies is on my list. Leaves you winded. <laughs> I still haven't done it. Yes. No, it's, this should be a really great conversation with Tracy. She's, she's so... Um, what's the word? Energetic, bubbly, personable. Uh, if you haven't checked her out on YouTube, check her out. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And uh, and she's a fellow Canadian. Woo! Oh yeah, she's from Toronto. From TO. Oh no, kidding! I didn't know that. Yep. No, don't get too excited. She's from Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. JK, JK, all Ontario listeners, we love you. Yes, we do. We, we, we kid, we kid. Uh, but but not about the Leafs. We don't. We're, we're dead. We're dead. We're dead serious about the Leafs. That's right. Uh, hey, you guys excited about the big live show on the seventeenth? Sort yeah, of. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> Your idea, of flurry. It's 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 coming together. It's coming together. It's going to be an interesting time for all. No pressure. It's going to be bunch of people watching us it's all going to be just the pub people probably anyways uh it's hard to say who's going to be there really you know you don't know what i've done <laughs> listen i never know what you i know it's great never know it's what good you... yeah we'll just be you know sitting talking and drinking like we do every christmas episode <laughs> <laughs> only from a distance is that's here. right yeah Hi everyone, this is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies and this is a shameless plug. A few years back, everyone was all excited about the pen friend from RNIB, which allowed folks to use small stickers with a chip in them to label products and record descriptions. We are pleased to be Canada's distributor of Way Around products, which do the same thing, but utilize a cell phone as the reader. There are a variety of available tags from simple stickers to clothing buttons, magnets, clips. There's something to label almost everything. The descriptions you enter can be any length and they are automatically backed up to your account on the web. So no matter what happens, you'll never lose your description. Check them out on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Tracy Schmidt. Uh, well, listen, we want to thank you so, so much for joining us today, Tracy. Let's just start right from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you know, I was born with the name Tracy Schmidt, but I was lucky enough to be renamed Unstoppable, you know, first day in kindergarten and then skiing and then sailing and then the Himalayas and then World Cup sailing. Uh -huh. and, and then it followed me at Air Canada and Shoppers Drug Mart and Uber. So most people call me Unstoppable Tracy. And if you say Tracy Schmidt, they say who? But if you say Unstoppable Tracy, uh, many will know who the heck I am now. <laughs> yeah, well, the, and you know, this is, it was a hard part, to be honest, about coming in to, to talk to you because it was like, I don't even know where to start. Uh -huh. <laughs> so let's start at, the, well, okay, I don't even, yeah, Ryan, help me out here. Where do we start? Where do we start? What are you most curious about? Well, I think for our listening audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your disability is, Tracy? 
Yes. And, and I actually often resist that start, Ryan, uh, because it's, it's like I've climbed the Himalayas and I'm a World Cup sailor, one woman, 27 able-bodied men, and busted Uber into Canada and uh, helped Air Canada with, with strikes with the pilots and then later with bankruptcy and then later again with the merger with the Canadian Airlines and supported Shoppers Drug Mart with pharmaceutical reform and this year's Canada Hall of Famer for being in 20 countries. Uh, Uganda, Mexico, Jamaica, Nepal as a, as a humanitarian teacher. And so I love to sort of shout out, like I think some of those things are pretty phenomenal as a woman in, in a male dominated sport and industries and the humanitarian side of things. I'm right next to Wayne Gretzky and, and uh, Brian Mulrooney, like that hall of fame wall is predominantly men too. And so on top of some of those things that whether you're born able-bodied or without a disability is phenomenal for the average citizen. Notice I say average citizen, not the average Joe, right? Our, look at our male <laughs> language sometimes in things. But I also happen to be a four-way amputee. I'm also missing my legs above my knees and I'm missing my left arm above my elbow and I'm missing my right hand. But I really wanted to emphasize how all of us are so many puzzle pieces. An aunt and teacher and all of those phenomenal sports and humanitarian efforts. So only one tiny piece of my puzzle was born a four-way amputee, missing my arms and my legs. And so, you know, first day of school, I'm so excited, like most five-year-olds, not in COVID this year, but most years. And my mom told me all summer, I get to go to school today in September. And then we're face to face with the principal and he's looking at me like massively wide-eyed, like big saucers. And he looks down at me without my arms, without my legs. And he just turns to my mom. And instead of saying, hello, welcome to the school. He says, I'm sorry, Tracy can't go to this school. And so my little five-year-old heart just went Whomp. And I gotta tell you, Ryan, in my stomach right now, I've got a pit because I'm. it's like yesterday. I still hear when the principal said, you can't go to this school. And, and it, it's still, I feel it. Like when people are in a car accident or you're remembering an argument with a loved one, every time you think back to it, even though it's over, it's like that feeling comes back. Well, and I expected my mom to be all kind of mama bear, like, what do you mean she can't go to this school? And, and she wasn't. She just said with a big smile and the kindest voice tone I had ever heard her use, she just said, how come? Sweet as can be. And so because the principal wasn't defensive, he was willing to explain himself. And he said, well, you know, in the 70s, we, don't, we only have one teacher. We don't have an educational assistant or a teacher's aide or a support worker. And so there's 35-year-old kids. And I'm afraid, you know, there's only one teacher. So how is she going to help Tracy tie her shoelaces or 
go to the bathroom without her legs because she can't leave five, five or 30 five-year-old kids running around like crazy. So my mom, she replies back, oh, I totally understand. Of course she can't leave 30 kids alone. And she says, I wonder, can you just give me one week to try to find a school more suited for Tracy? And then if it doesn't work out, no problem. But can we just try since we're here today? So you hear my mom's like little secret backdoor counteroffer there, right? And so he's thinking to himself, I learned like 20 years later that he's thinking, well, if I let them see that Tracy's not really set up for success at this school for themselves, they'll get it. So he said, sure thing. But on Friday, you got to go to that other school. So my mom said, thank you very much. And we walked around to the side of the school where all the kindergarten kids are let in or preschool or whatever it's named, wherever you live in the world, listening into this fabulous podcast. And she, uh, she looks out at the schoolyard. I'm umming because I'm remembering my mom's face. My mom had this shock on her face like the principal had when he first saw me at the front door. And she dropped to her knees in front of everybody. And so on her knees, on the cement, what she realized and what she was doing was I'm short, right? So just like she looked the principal eye to eye, she was on her knees to look me eye to eye. But as a five-year-old, I don't know why she's doing that. And she grabs my arms. You know that five-finger super grip or that 10-finger super grip where the parents hold their little child's arm to hold them steady and make them focus and listen? Mm -hmm. And my mom's on her knees and she's looking me eye to eye. And she says... Tracy, it's really important that you and everyone's included. Nobody left behind, including you. I'm five years old and I'm kind of like, I just want to go play outside. I don't know why my mom is so intense, so serious. And so I look over to go play and the principal was standing right there. He had followed us around from the front door of the school and he saw my mom on her knees, holding my arms, looking me eye to eye and saying, nobody left behind. Well, him listening to this mother-daughter passionate conversation, his eyes are all welled up with tears, right? And so now he doesn't want me to be left behind on Friday. He doesn't want to kick me out of his school on Friday. So fast forward in time, and he runs outside to the schoolyard at recess to see if I was lucky enough to make it outside. See, I don't realize why my mom is so intense. I don't realize that if I don't make it outside for recess, I don't get to stay at that school. So the principal runs outside to see if I made it outside at 10.30. I'm not there. Five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. The recess bell goes off. I never made it outside. 
the principal is devastated. He's thinking, how am I going to send Tracy away on Friday? I've got to find out what happened. So the principal goes inside to find my teacher and he asks my teacher, he says, what happened? Couldn't Tracy tie her shoelaces? And the teacher's all, actually, Tracy was the first one to tie her shoelaces. And so the principal is completely flabbergasted. He's like, well, then how come Tracy wasn't outside? And the teacher says, oh, her little friend couldn't tie her shoelaces. So Tracy gave her a hand. It turns out none of the 30 kids could tie <laughs> their shoelaces. And of course, my mom had said, nobody left behind. So by the time I tied 30 shoelaces, the Reese's bell had gone off. So I got to learn that day that when, you know, the principal said no and oh, it was just that he didn't know K-N-O-W. So myself as this naive five-year-old, I forevermore at five and now in my 40s, always hear no and no just as we don't know. Either they don't know or I don't know or somebody doesn't know K-N-O-W, but it, it doesn't sting me. It doesn't finalize the conversation. No just means K-N-O-W. Right. Well, and I think too, you know, like I watched a YouTube video where oh. you were sitting on your front lawn crying, watching the neighbor kids play in their yard. They were running around playing yeah. tag. And your mom came out and said, you know, basically, what are you crying about? Well, if you want to go play, yeah. go play. And he grabbed a skateboard, rolled down the street or, you know, to the next yard, rolled up there and was able to, you know, involve yourself and create your own success. How important or where did that come from? Like, how did your mom get to that point when she has a daughter with this disability, it doesn't sound like it was an impact at all. And I think that's crucial, right? Like all 30 kids went to school that day not tying their shoelaces. Whereas I had the kind of mom that both me and I have a younger sister, both of us had to be able to tie our shoelaces because the letter they send home from school is, the children must be able to go to the bathroom by themselves and tie their shoelaces. And that day on the front lawn, she opens the door and she finds me crying. And I'm like, oh, the kids are making fun of me. I just want them to come play. Well, she said, how's that working for you? <laughs> and shut the door, right? Yeah. So, so who I had was this tough love mom. Who I had was, and I do have still today, I have this Liverpoolian mother and, and Liverpool was struck really hard in the war. And so, and, and then a lot of the unions were so passionate about standing up for the rights of their employees, which was right, but they're all going bankruptcy after the war that the unions drove those businesses out of town. So Liverpool had this kind of tough love approach. And then they all have this kind of funny humor that's kind of dark, but funny, but it's also how they get through and they have this suck it up buttercup kind of way of being. Anybody that knows a Liverpudlian in England, right? That's where the Beatles came from. My mom partied in the basement with the Beatles, right? Her girlfriend was dating 
the uh, first drummer, Pete Best. Oh, and so they used to hang out with the Beatles, right? Yeah. Like, so you kind of get this tough love reality way of being. So I'm very lucky to have had a mother out of all the mothers in that kindergarten class and on all those kids bullying me on the street to just take a deep breath. And even though I'm scared out of my mind, my stomach is paddling like a duck, like crazy underwater in my stomach. But what I present to the world is the big smile and eye contact and say, hi, I'm Tracy. Can I play? Right. And, yeah. and I do that in business now, too, when I'm faced with a room full of suits, predominantly men or on a start line in a sailing regatta, male dominated. I'm like, hi, I'm Tracy. Let's get started, right? Like you just, you start with the hello and you fake the confidence and you <laughs> proudly behave like you are a valuable contributor that belongs there. Right. Until, and so they believe it because you're really good at, I'm really good at faking my fear. <laughs> mm. We've talked on this show to a lot of Paralympians uh, over, over the uh, years we've been doing this. And uh, I'm just curious about your perspective, because the story that you tell about your mom giving you tough love is one that I think we've probably heard from most of the Paralympians that we've we've talked to. Really? Uh, you know, they they and, and I'm just curious if because obviously you, you're going to have talked to a lot more of them than, than we probably have. Uh, do you think that's really common that the tough love parents produce kids that were uh, higher achievers or tough love life? So they're either their parents and you know what I was born at a time when there wasn't ultrasounds. So they didn't know that I was going to be born without my arms and my legs. And so all the doctors, they told my parents vehemently, you know, give her up for adoption. You're not prepared for this. This isn't something you chose. And so when I, whenever I was getting my legs as a little kid, you know, there was always all the other kids in the seventies, they were all given up for adoption if they were born that way, they all had foster, not even adoptive parents. They all had foster parents. So I'm really lucky that I was one rare soul that happened to have my parents. And a lot of the people meeting in the Paralympic world, most of them uh, stereotypically or statistically even are people that acquired a disability. So Paralympians got a lot of phenomenal training and exposure and coaching in their able-bodied life in soccer, sailing, swimming. And uh, often are not born this way because they don't get that training. And then so they might have been in my sailing world. They might have been phenomenal sailors. And now they've had an accident because they're adventurers. And, and now they've got paralysis or a missing. And in sailing, most people are fairly able-bodied, right? Like there's people that are legally disabled, missing their thumb or missing their foot or paralyzed from the waist down. And, and I like to call those paper cuts, right compared to no arms and no legs right and so the paper cups and, and that kind of translates into also the able-bodied world of things that people are facing so yes i think my tough love mom had a part of the journey but if you ask olympians or paralympians either category almost all the people that win a gold or the top you know six places in olympics and paralympics are people that were underestimated people that were told there's no way People that said, you're too small, you're not strong enough, you don't have enough hours. And so people that are naturally talented, in my case, sailing, they often don't make it to the final gold Olympic start line because 
you've got to be the kind of person that even if you're told no, or your parents or your sister or your community or your coach or your teacher uh, or the sponsor, if you got to be the kind of person that no matter what people tell you, that you go for it anyway and you don't avoid failure, you're the kind of people and, and all the billionaires and all the movie stars and all the superstar rappers, you know, the only difference between success and failure is that they're really good at failure, right? Walt Disney went bankrupt nine times, right? Walt Disney was fired from a job for not being creative. Like <laughs> Walt, right? So these people that succeed are the kind of people that just ignore the naysayers and the no. They're like, no, no, I got this. We just don't know K-N-O-W yet. And uh, that's true of, as you say, the Paralympians and the Olympians. And so being born this way, I was lucky enough that I'm always told no. Everybody believes I'm not going to sit up or able to feed myself or able to play with the other kids or able to work or fly or swim or scuba dive or climb mountains, right? That's just the way people look at me because I'm missing my arms and my legs. So I learned really quickly that I, I cannot operate in life with the way others look at me, I gotta just be limitless. And, and in spite of the fear, anxiety, and tension, jump in. But I don't jump out of that airplane without knowing who packed my parachute, <laughs> right? Like I got the Ryans and the Robs on my lifeline, right? Listening into your show keeps refueling my soul so that I'm ready to jump out of that airplane. I want to I want to go back to something that you you said early early on. You mentioned being involved with uh, Uber coming to Canada. Yes, Steve, I I am. Okay, yeah. Ryan may love you, and 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 not even know it yet. Oh. <laughs> so, well, so Uber. I was in a I was speaking on a stage, and we were disrupting the norm. It was one of these like crush everything you know work group at the Montreal Toronto Convention Center, which is a massive center right by the Sky Dome and CN Tower for people that don't live in Toronto. And uh, really huge stages of thousands are there. And this was the center I was in and I was speaking at and Uber was there and I was in a lineup and my family like to joke, you know, you never get in an elevator without knowing everybody's name by the time you get out with Tracy, right? So wherever I am. And so I'm in a lineup and we're waiting and I'm registering as a speaker. And so that I'm like, this person in this lineup must be a speaker too, but I don't know who he is. I'm like, hi, I'm Tracy. Who are you? And they're like, oh, my name's Jared. I'm from Uber. And, and we were both for the same session of like, let's completely crush what you know and reinvent. And it was for the Airbnbs and for Uber. And so he was there representing Uber, kind of like a sponsor for this event. And I was a speaker to open up people's minds to disarm their limiting beliefs so that when they were saying, well, this is impossible, that they were ready to say, unless, after having a conversation with me right? Exceed uncertainty, feeling uncertain is no excuse for inaction. In my opening talk about falling out of boats and failing till I'm a World Cup sailor. And so Jared and I became fast friends, but he told me that day, he said, I'm afraid we're kind of on our last legs here in Canada. 
we have successfully busted into countries all around the world, even in countries where you wouldn't imagine. Like when I went to Thailand, there was Uber. Like wherever I was in 40 countries, 20 countries in 2020, and Uber was in all 20 countries. And Canada was giving them the hardest time to break in because our taxi drivers were really powerful yeah. at breaking, at, at keeping them out. And it's because they had this old antiquated medallion system way back in the 70s. I'm making up numbers. I don't know the facts, but let's say they gave it 100 medallions for taxis. Well, no other industry, flower shops, grocery stores, businesses of any kind, radio stations, anybody, they're not able to grandfather their license for their business forward. But somehow taxi drivers had a, had a stronghold with some mayors behind the scene and I don't know where and what, and I'm, I'm alluding to corrupt and I don't wanna say I know of it that way, but they were able to year after year just keep this stronghold and monopoly on these licenses. So the reason that the taxi industry was so expensive was because of the medallions. And so it cost taxi drivers lots and lots of money to leverage off of somebody else's grandfathered license. And so the expense of the fear of losing their income to Uber was, was valid. But if you bust up this corrupted medallion system and, and, and save money on, like they were still doing two week training on Pearlie's map finder guides. Well, who uses the map finder guides manually anymore, right? Everybody's using Waze and Google Maps, but they still had to go two weeks to taxi driver school and pay for it to be able to demonstrate knowing how to read a Pearlie's map. Huh. And nobody does that anymore. So why pay money on that? So a lot of the expenses could have been reworked by removing needless training, by uh, removing this corrupt medallion system and offering a lot more medallions. So they could be competitive with Uber. And so I went down to city hall and taxi drivers were spitting and taxi drivers were like, would throw empty cans at me on my walk into city hall and out of city hall. Taxi drivers had my car towed uh, from where I was parked at city hall, like with their insider police friends yeah. who, and it was awful. Like they were really intense, but I went to city hall and I wasn't planning to be an advocate that way. I didn't know that they were going to treat me that way, or maybe I wouldn't have had the courage to face them. But I went to City Hall to say, without Uber, there's no Uber assist. And without Uber, there's no Uber wheelchair accessible vehicles that they can roll in and, and make happen uh, as part of the agreement. And so we have these big gaps in transportation on demand. Wheeltrans does the best they can, but there's only so many taxis. Yeah. And so with Uber, for folks like Ryan and I, where we're mobile, right? Pe people with disabilities, we're not all using a wheelchair. Uh, I think it's less than 2% of the 100% of people with disabilities. And so many can use Uber Assist or wheelchair accessible vehicles. Yeah, and, and Uber needed some training with the uh, working animals to be accommodated but the early Uber, they were way better than the taxi drivers were around working animals, for example. I'm wondering a little more about why I'm Ryan's favorite instead of most people with vision loss are sort of like 
anti-taxis and Uber because they really struggle at the awareness that service animals are allowed anywhere. No, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. Um, being totally blind, you know, having to rely on taxis or having to hand over my credit card to a taxi driver because it didn't have taxi saver coupons or not being able to prepay for trips or having cabs not even show up, um, you know, I think the taxi is a mafia mentality and I, I would love to see them go. And I was a huge advocate for, you know, personally, not publicly, but yeah. for getting Uber here, like we need Uber. We have to have Uber. We need some alternatives to the taxi companies. And I can't, I can't thank you enough. I remember, I think my first time installing the Uber app on my phone, setting up my account basically double tapping the call button or however it works, I haven't used it since, but you know, calling it, having the Uber guy show up, open the car door, we had a conversation on my trip and I, I paid them through the app. I didn't have to give them my credit card number. It was a phenomenal experience. And not to say all taxi drivers are bad, because they're not, but you know, and I don't have a service dog, so I didn't have to explain, you know, my dog's allowed, here's my card, it's the law, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, there was none of that, none of that to deal with. And so thank you. We needed, uh, we needed Uber here. Yes. And I have no hands. So uh, like I'm the same with the credit card and people reaching into my purse or wallet or, and juggling all that. And, and I'm a lady, so I have a purse. So I'm always holding things. So I, I loved that about not having to hold a credit card with Uber too. So I love that you share that scenario. Uh, and I wasn't alone. Like I'm giving this big heroic so story and I, I, I apologize because like I said, I don't jump out of that airplane alone. I need mm -hmm. my lifelines and Uber was phenomenal advocates. Like they really cared about accessible transportation as much as uh, being breaking into the market. And I'm a testimony that, but there was like Luke Anderson with stopgap and there was uh, you know, the Spinal Cord Institute out of Lyndhurst, they had consultants there and the phenomenal uh, Maya, you know, she's the one doing the accessible mapping for locations. She was part of their consult board, but there was just a, a couple of us that went down to City Hall and really, and they were tough on us. Like, sure. like I, I won't mention any, like there was this big, huge mayor. And then right before I was about to go and have my turn to speak on the panel, he just took his big size and he just like cornered me on a wall. And he's like, I know you're a big advocate for Variety Village and Marsha Dimes and Rick Hansen. And, and so how would you like it if that funding is compromised? And I'm like, <laughs> like that was a threat, right? Like there was something going on behind those scenes. I don't know what yeah. that was at the time. Uh, and, and so, and when they came in, they came in hard with the questions, but it was because of I think being born this way, instead of acquiring a disability and getting paralysis as a late teens or early 20s or 30s, which has a different way of being in your interaction with the world and your disability, I think that that it was, I was ready for those hard questions. And, uh, and I knew to remain, like I didn't say Wheeltrans sucks. I just said Wheeltrans is maxed out. Right. And so they do what they can with medical and work. But say, for example, Ryan, Steve, or Rob want to say, let's go for dinner after this great show spontaneously. If it wasn't in COVID, I wouldn't be able to call up Wheeltrans and go and meet you guys for dinner. So I, so now with Uber, we can spontaneously on demand meet yeah. up. 
And I don't have to worry about juggling my credit card and my safety exactly. as a result of it. Yeah. Man, you know, I don't, I don't know which, which is the bigger accomplishment between this and this next topic I wanna, I'm fascinated with. You also went mountain climbing in the, yes. early, in the early 90s. I'm just curious as, as to what that was like and how that came about. So uh, I, I just found it, like I see people coming out like 2006 or saying the year, like they're the first amputee to climb a certain <laughs> height or the mountains. And I'm like, I was just too naive to say in the 90s, oh, I, I didn't even believe, I didn't realize I was the first four-way amputee or amputee of any kind, never mind double knee above me, to climb the Himalayas of Nepal way back when. Uh, and don't celebrate that enough. And so I love that you asked about it. And it, it happened, uh, a woman that, when I was eight and I was learning to sail, I kept falling out of a boat and I failed. And a lot of people, other kinds of people would have said, you know, no arms, no legs. I'm really sorry. You're falling in the water. You're this eight-year-old with pink tails and glasses. We cannot have you falling out in the water in front of ferries sailing between Toronto city line and the center island, right? It's dangerous. Uh, and, and she didn't. Because, you know, all of the kids, whenever you're learning sailing in Lake Ontario, all of the kids fall out of the boat. You've got to pass a swimming test. You've got to wear a life jacket. At least you did way back then. So this same woman who taught me to sail at eight, even though I failed that first summer, because it turns out you got to be able to stay in the boat to pass. <laughs> I, could, I could name the parts of the boat and the points of sail, but I couldn't stay in the boat. But as you all know, I grew up to be a World Cup sailor sailing against able-bodied men like you three big, gigantic, muscular souls, Rob, Ryan, Steve, from your pictures. Yes. But this same woman uh, in 91 years later was going to the Himalayas of Nepal and we remained friends. And I'm like, I want to go. And she said, well, then why don't you? Just like she always did. And I'm like, okay. So, so she joined me and we went to the Himalayas together, but it was right when Iraq and Iran was having a more uh, restrictions in flight because of war torn countries and things happening. So the trip got canceled actually, cause we weren't allowed to fly in that part of the world. So I had to go a year later, like climbing the Himalayas in Nepal wasn't just restricted by my, and we, we did a lot of practice. And, and when I, I practiced in the ravine area underneath the Don Valley Parkway on some mini cliffs there, and it didn't work with my long legs. And uh, everybody able-bodied, everybody wanted, they all figured I would be better climbing and trekking with my legs because you guys have got legs. But the reality is I get around tons better i hop around boats without my legs i advance scuba dive without my legs i ski without my legs right and not in a sit ski i put my 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 thighs knees to skis the first time i skied was in men's ski boots backwards i put my thighs in men's ski boots right like so why not climbing without my legs and so that's what we did and uh, a magnificent man, Dieter Bachman, he created like a leather boot that was the shape of my stumps. My legs end above my knees. I don't have knees. So he created a cover for the ends of my knees. And uh, th that was a solution we found out. But we didn't figure out skiing or climbing the Himalayas on the first try. Uh, and most of the time, 
it was like, I needed the able-bodied people to show me, what do you do? Like, how do you drive a car? And then I needed, as a person who's this way, nothing about us without us, I needed to find some of those solutions on my own. Uh, and, and Kathy always says, you invented those boots. Dieter just made them happen. But all the solutions we came up with didn't really work. And same with skiing, with sit skiing and duct taping outriggers. When I said, can I just put my thighs in men's ski boots backwards to give this a go? Because I could picture being in the duck squat position with the angled boots and knees to skis. Because I could see what your bodies were doing and what I needed to replicate with no knees. And so, uh, but I couldn't do it alone, right? I needed all those ski instructors to be willing to problem solve with me. And I needed Kathy to be a lifeline in Nepal and, and to be somebody to go trekking with me a thousand times before we actually made it to Nepal. And, and I needed Magnus Ligidal, a gold Olympian to be my lifeline, to believe in me for the Paralympics and the Olympics. So it's all about teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> so grateful to be on your show. Like you guys are a lifeline in awareness raising. Yeah, and well, you know, and what fascinates me about it, it, it sort of reminds me. A while back, we we talked to this um, blind fella from the from the UK. He's a he's a blind author, and he's a world traveler. His name is Tony Giles, and we we talked to him, and he just goes he just goes to countries. He's he's totally blind. He'll just go to Ethiopia, or he'll just go to Uganda, or like he'll he'll just he just goes to these places without any sort of a sighted guide he just he and he's it's like he's fearless and i'm kind of wondering like you know when this this trip came up like do you do you stop and pause and you go do you do you ever think like oh i don't know i don't know should i do this or or like because it just sounds like you just you just latch on to something you're just like i'm gonna do this and Knock with a boat do it what's what's your what's your mindset when you go into these things so like in all honesty, I like when the whenever an opportunity presents, I, I am always I'm like okay, and 99% of the time the opportunity presents near me, and I hear it like so. Kathy was going to Paul, and I'm like I want to go, right? And and the, the some people were skiing, and I'm like I want to go skiing. I got to figure out how that. And somebody else is scuba. I want to go scuba diving, and and then I have to go to like 12 scuba diving schools before I find the person that's gonna be the breakthrough for the scuba diving, right? And, and then the reality hits when I'm about to go scuba diving. And when I was about to leave for Nepal, I was so, I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go and make it happen, make it happen. But when I'm ready to go, it's like this black void in the future and I don't know what's gonna happen and if it's gonna work, like the Himalayas are a little bigger, biggest mountains in the world than our little cliffs that are underneath the Don Valley. And, and so, so, and then I was, I was crying before I leave. Right. And before I went to university, I was crying before I lived on my own. The first time I was crying. And when I went to Uganda and Mexico and Jamaica, like there are times it seems that often there's this fear factor, you know, here's, here's an interesting story. Just a couple of years ago, everybody always says, well, sure, Tracy, you did that when you were young. And a lot of people have fear, anxiety, tension, and they have this story in their head about being too old now. Oh, I used to do that. Or in my youth, I traveled, right? And, or I'm too old to start a business or learn technology or reinvent in COVID. 
And so I was kind of like, okay, I'm done with this story. Let's unstop the story. And at Young and Bloor, there was some rappelling for a fundraiser, a drop zone. And I'm like, I want to jump off that building like everybody else. And it was full of men jumping off in suits. And so I went to the table and I'm like, I would like to jump. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, right? Looking at me, no arms, no legs. And then, so then I ask, how come? And they tell me about, it's the purpose of it and they're fundraising and they're trying to raise awareness in diversity. And I'm like, well, you got all men in suits. Imagine how diverse it would be if you have a four-way amputee and a female. And it turns out it was for Easter Seals and I was an Easter Seals kid. And then later in my twenties, I was a director with 63 staff and hundreds of kids for Blue Mountain at Easter Seals Society, became a camp director. I said, wouldn't it be great if somebody like that would jump off your and she's like, well, yeah, you kind of got a point. And I said, and you looking for media, imagine the media, if you got me up there, no arms, no legs and female Easter Seals past ambassador instead of some rich men in suits, right? And she's like, yeah. Uh, and so she said, you got to talk to the drop zone guy. Well, I said the same thing to the drop zone guy, but the drop zone guy was like, no, I'm sorry, right? He's all about safety. He doesn't care about media or the fundraising. His job is to make sure nobody kills himself today, jumping off a 25 story building. So I realized I wasn't speaking to his listening. You know, my mom said, how come? And, and, and she, and she counter offered if Tracy doesn't succeed, we'll take her to another school. No problem. She didn't say Tracy could tie her shoelaces, right? She spoke to the principal's concern about being stuck with me. When she said, how come she didn't say she could tie her shoelaces. So when I spoke to registration, I could, I influenced them around media. And when I spoke to the drop zone guy, I wasn't speaking to his listening. So then I counteroffered. I said, you know, I've climbed the Himalayas of Nepal. I'm an outward bound instructor. I know my ropes. And he said, really? Well, you can come show me in my studio and you can do this next year. So now I hear he wants me to demonstrate. So I'm like, see that truck over there? If I repel and show you how I manage the lines off that truck, will you let me jump? Well, now he's curious and he said, yes. So I demonstrated off of a truck before I went up the 25 stories. So I go up and I'm in a dress, right? So I, and my hair's all fancy in a, in a bouffant like it is today on the top of my head. And so I asked this Australian tourist with a backpack, like, do you have some shorts in that backpack? And so I borrow this stranger's shorts and I buy myself a drop zone t-shirt that the guy had and I change out and I go up the building. And so now I've done all this convincing. I can do it, I can do it and influencing and persuading and being unstoppable, unstoppable unless, you know, impossible unless. How do we exceed uncertainty, feeling uncertain is no excuse for inaction. And I'm about to jump off the top of the building and I've just spent two hours breaking down all sorts of roadblocks to be allowed to do it that day, right? And remember when I woke up that morning, I had no idea I was gonna be jumping off a 25 story building in my late forties, right? And I go to go over the edge and I am petrified. I am totally afraid. So I think I jump into things blindly and then when the reality moment hits that I'm launching, I'm jumping out of the airplane, I'm leaving for Nepal, I'm going to school for university, or I'm gonna live on my own, or I'm gonna jump off a 25 story building in my 
well into my 40s body who hasn't climbed and repelled in a really long time, right? And not in a dress, right? And I was petrified. And normally what happens in Outward Bound and in Nepal, when you're about to go off that cliff, the people looking at you on your safety line, on your lifeline, on your belay line, they look you in the eye and they see that fear and they say, you got this. And they get, and they say, I've got you and you've got this. You're okay. I know you're scared, but you got to go for it. You can do it, right? That's sort of the job of the lifeline person when the person launches and they get that moment of fear right before they jump. Well, my guy is looking at me petrified. He's in complete panic. What the heck am I doing allowing this girl with no arms and no, or this woman, no arms and no legs, jump off a 25 story building. What have I agreed to? And so he, he's panicked. So instead of giving me the courage and the, you can do it that I need in that jumping moment of panic, I got to turn it around now. And I got to say, I got this. And you got this, we can do it. I showed you I'm fine. And I had to go over the edge of the building, like I think more scared than I've ever been in my entire life. It was windy and this guy was scared and they were all fiddling around up there, not knowing for sure, right? Like, and so I didn't have that confidence of my lifeline safety team, except that I knew that he really cared and I knew he was really scared and he didn't want anything to go wrong. And so I had to, I had to, and people with disabilities, and I bet you Ryan, I don't know if, if Ryan or Steve or if Rob or Steve, you guys have invisible disabilities, but Ryan, you probably get this. We've got to self-advocate when sometimes the rest of society, they get lifelines that support out loud, but we got to self-advocate, but yeah, I am petrified and I am scared and I do get frozen in fear. Uh, but that opportunity to be a self-advocate because I was born this way and I just have to be limitless, you know, the limb it lists, you have to be limitless. That's, that's what you got to do. Scared or not, you go for it. And we hear that over and over and over again. You know, nobody knows what you need better than you. You have to advocate for yourself because nobody's going to do it for you. And, you know, when I took off, so, so I was on a plane during Hurricane Sandy after a sailing regatta in San Diego. And the plane was really turbulent. Hurricane Sandy was the one that uh, flooded the New York subway. Uh, Hurricane Sandy washed away a whole bunch of Rhode Island homes on the shores in Newport. Like it was really impactful to the states. And I was in San Diego when it, when it started. And then I was in the air in a plane flying home to Toronto when it really was in the thick of it. And so I thought with the turbulence that I was going to die. And it was in that moment that I decided, you know, I'm going to pursue my Paralympic dream. And when I landed and I tried to figure out how is, am I going to make this happen? And everybody was saying, there's no way you need 10,000 hours, you need $10,000, you need, there's just no way. And all the other people with disabilities, they're mostly like just missing a foot or a finger. Like, you know, in the para, even in the Paralympic world, there's a hierarchy of disability depending on mm -hmm. the class that you fit in. And so, uh, and most of the sailors are hot dog and sailors. 
and then they acquire disability. So your competition is like Olympic level competition in the Paralympic sailing world. It's pretty tough and there's no way. And, uh, and I said, well, what if I waved a magic wand? And they said, Magnus Ligidal, he's a gold Olympian and he's the one that would do it, but there's no way he would, right? And, and so I said, well, thanks for letting me know. So I had to stalk Magnus Ligidal, but on my way down there, my, my mom and my sister and my friends, everybody thought I was having a midlife crisis. This is it like early forties. And they're like, what are you doing? And I, I sold my bed, my wall unit, everything I owned, I put it on Kijiji and I drove down there. And if it didn't fit in my car, I got rid of it. And I paid 11 months rent in advance so that that was taken care of and used up all my savings. And when I got there, Magnus didn't really want anything to do with me. And I had to spend three months washing his boats and, and advocating for three months. I washed and waxed Magnus's boats at 5.30 in the morning, sleeping in my car for three months, sleeping on boats, sleeping on balconies, but mostly in my car for three months before Magnus finally said, come on, let's go sailing, right? I needed to demonstrate that tenacity and that diligence and that capability for three months before I even got a second of Magnus's coaching time. And, and so advocacy is, is huge and it's not something that you do with one try. So in the, la in the last couple of minutes we have you, what's next for Tracy? So I'm excited to talk to you today because my biggest learning curve this month has been a podcast. <laughs> and so I have a podcast that launched today, December 3rd, International Day of People with Disabilities Woo. called Unstop the Story. Unstop the Story. And so the listeners, all of you would be massively appreciated if you would go to iTunes and search Unstop the Story or visit unstoppabletracy.com. Go to my website and find the podcast there and listen in. Uh, and I have 10 guests. I've launched three today. Oh. And I have guests like, you know, Walt Disney, not Walt Disney, um, Make-A-Wish Foundation founder uh, and, and, and Kevin Frankish from Breakfast Television in Canada. And so I have big public personalities that have made massive differences in the world and all 10 guests. And one of them is that Kathy Smart who went sailing and skiing with me. Uh, she's one of my guests too. So I hope that people listen into the podcast and it's all story-based, not teachy-preachy. And so I hope people come and listen to 10 stories with me on Unstop the Story. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll make sure we include that in uh, the link to our show notes as well. Thank you. Of course, well, that's, uh, that's a very exciting. Tell you podcast life it's not all glitz and glamour <laughs> yeah, for now so be prepared it's a ride but right. uh yes. i look forward to hearing it well thank you i haven't successfully got spotify working this morning but itunes google play stitcher a bunch of platforms are working and Excellent. you can certainly listen off my website perfect Unstoppable and, and listen if you, if you need any audio advice ryan's the guy <laughs> oh, we hardly scratch the surface of stuff that we that you've done 
um, that we'd love to talk to you about. So you'll have to have to make some time to come back on because uh, but it was an absolute delight talking to you. Rob, Ryan, Steve, thank you for being phenomenal difference makers in the world who are unstopping the story. You unstop the story. You are unstoppable too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tracy. And best of luck with the podcast. Thank yep. you. And knock them dead on the Today Show. Ta da da. <laughs> and no more, no more jumping off buildings. What? <laughs> I can't unless, accept unless you that want last to. bit. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, take care, Tracy. Thank you again. Thanks. Thank you, Ryan, Steve, Rob. Take bye. care, world. Bye bye. All right, thanks. Oh my. Yeah. Oh, I need a I'm, nap. Yeah, I need a nap too. <laughs> I need to re re-examine my life choices. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> Too late now. Yeah, the PTSD. Holy cow, she done a lot. And we didn't even like seriously didn't even scratch the surface. We hardly talked about anything. We talked about three things that she's done. I know. She's twelve. Yeah. No, and I had more. a couple other so much more tangents I wanted to go off on as well, but we'll we'll get her back. Oh, how, how hard was it for me not to start, start talking about scuba with her? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire, cowbell at atbanter.com. And don't forget to write and tell us how much you would love for us to send you a cowbell. Oh, yeah, that's right. And if, you know, if you're not into the emailing part of things, you can also connect with us via social media, via either Facebook or Twitter, and also occasionally Instagram. Man, I'm going to climb a mountain now. Uh, why don't you focus on the gross grind first? Yeah, let's start there. Okay, wait, now I'm remembering the gross grind. <laughs> Forget it. That's still well, on actually, my bucket list. Maybe, maybe start with the Coquitlam Crunch because it's free. Yeah, okay. well, that's still on my bucket list. I gotta do Coquitlam Crunch and then I gotta do Gross Grind. All right. Oh man, I'm, I bet you the Himalayas are probably harder than the Gross Grind. They so might be easier. <laughs> yeah, I just the Gross Grind man. I remember getting to the halfway point where they've marked it and like actually big be, being angry because <laughs> I thought near the top. I was like, just have we have. It was the halfway point, and yeah. I'll see what I need is somebody at the halfway point just to be waiting with like McDonald's French fries or something. That'll get me there. And then we need something more to really incentivize me to get to the top. So, yeah, for well, the with, with the uh, with the gross grind, the incentive is that there is a bar. <laughs> yeah, cause how many steps? Is it? Like it's a ridiculous for those people who are outside of the Roman that have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, it's it's this hike that's it's literally a vertical hike. You have to climb. I think it's like thirty six hundred steps or something on even different heights, depths. It's renowned through the Lower Mainland as like one of the hardest hikes around, other than just like climbing the face of a mountain. It climbs eight hundred and fifty three meters. That's twenty eight hundred feet from the gate and timer near the bottom of the trail to the grind timer at the top of the trail, a distance of two point nine kilometers with an average grade of seventeen degrees, a thirty one percent slope. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's insane. And short uh, short sections up to thirty degrees of fifty eight percent slope. Total number of stairs is twenty eight hundred and thirty. Oh, okay. Say so, so we'll have to get the stats on the Himalaya mountains. <laughs> which is harder, but 
I'm suspecting the Himalayas might be harder. So I don't know if I can't do the grass grind or if I'm not about to do the grass grind again, maybe the Himalayas are not on my list. Typically takes about 90 minutes to do the walk. Uh, the overall unofficial record is held by uh, Sebastian Salas and he did it. Any guesses, guys? I don't know, but I was going to say, didn't like Ryan Kessler do it in like 28 minutes or something? I was going to say 20 yeah. minutes, maybe. Uh, uh, sorry, what did you say, Rob? 25? 2348. Wow. Wow. That is fa like it took me like three hours, I think. Crazy. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. Man, that I think is going to about do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks so much to Tracy Smith, AKA Unstoppable Tracy. She really is unstoppable. Um, and we will see everybody next week. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.